There will never be a country in the world like South Africa. The assemblage of traditions, culture, and landscape is inseparable from the monstrous apartheid that has wreaked havoc on the country ever since. Because of this assemblage, the world will never be as it was before. As humans merge with technology, slowly becoming hunched over their phones and laptops, the legal and political structures that control us are slowly losing their place in this world. The passage of a land reform resolution in South Africa, first introduced by the Economic Freedom Fighters Party, is a testament to the ongoing transhumanist singularity. Unlike previous attempts at explaining this paradigm, this view of the ongoing singularity isn't about implants or nanotechnology, but rather new legal fictions that are emerging. After all, humanity no longer consists of factory workers who hurl buckets of feces out the window for poopsmiths to clean. For more on this, let's go over to Tim. When we first decided that we were going to do this video, we found ourselves struggling on what to specifically focus on, because there is, of course, so much to talk about. In the end, we opted to do a video exploring why exactly this is all happening. There are tons of videos, editorials, and speeches which focus on whether land reform in South Africa should happen or not, but very few which actually have a look at the rationale behind land reform in a detailed and somewhat objective fashion. Sorry guys, you're just going to have to settle for having it out in the comment section if that's what you're looking for. So why? Why is it that all of a sudden, the Rainbow Nation now seems to be going in the direction of Zimbabwe? Well, before we get into it all, here's some history. While Dutch settlers first set foot in what is now known as South Africa in 1652, it wasn't actually until 1913 with the Native Lands Act that the ruling white government moved to formally go about stripping the native populations of their ability to access, use and own land within the country. The Act reserved 7.5% of the nation's land for African ownership. In effect, setting aside over 80% of the land for the white population, who at the time only accounted for approximately 20% of the total population. And perhaps more importantly, the Act also forbade the purchase of land across different races. So what this meant was that whites were not allowed to buy up land set aside for the non-white population. But on the flip side, these very same Africans were also barred from purchasing land set aside for whites, i.e. most of the country, essentially pigeonholing them. The law itself marks as the foundation of what later came to be known as the apartheid and has never since really been fully addressed. Until now, that is. Taking things back to the present, many of you watching may not have noticed because of other more obvious distractions, but South Africa has been experiencing more than their fair share of political disturbances lately. In the last six years, the country has experienced the tragedy that was the Marikana shootings, the rise of populist politics in Julius Malema and the Economic Freedom Fighters Party, the death of the father of post-apartheid South Africa and international figure Nelson Mandela, and increasingly more discontent youth as highlighted by the student-led Roads Must Fall and the Fees Must Fall movements, a gradual but increasingly widespread pushback against the ANC as illustrated by the results of the recent local elections, and now Zuma finally stepping down, and of course, um, this. All things considered, that's a lot for any country to experience within the span of half a decade. All signs seem to be pointing to one direction, and that is mass instability, or even, dare we say, revolution. Therefore, the ANC, under the new leadership of Cyril Ramaphosa, could be pushing for land reform of farmland mainly as a means of preserving the political power of the ANC and general stability across South Africa, especially in light of the coming general elections. Going beyond the politics of it all, there are some other reasons which may suggest that something 
along these lines actually does need to happen though. With a Guinea coefficient score of 0.69 in 2014, South Africa stands as one of the most economically unequal countries in the world. That's right. More income inequality lies here than in countries such as the United States, Brazil, China, Russia and most other countries. The list really does go on. What this has meant for the country is that it is now home to extremely high levels of violent and economic crimes such as burglary and armed robbery and very high rates of unemployment with the official rate floating somewhere around 25% and the unofficial rate being much higher. It has been argued by some that land redistribution of, in this case farmland, by spreading some of the wealth around will naturally create a wealthier population on average. When wealth is concentrated in relatively fewer hands it could end up limiting consumption and business opportunities for a country. The idea goes that one person can only have so much money and be able to spend it and invest in so many things. How many cars can a crazily rich person buy? One? 10, 50, 200, but a nation of somewhat affluent people will probably be willing to purchase a lot more cars than one really rich person would ever want to or be able to fathom. And as most of us know, more consumption equals more production, which equals more growth. A wealthier population on average also means more people are able to draw on their funds and savings to exploit business opportunities. Think about that one time your parents or your grandparents remortgaged their house or drew on their retirement fund to help kickstart your dream to found a coffee shop where diners pay for overpriced grilled sandwiches and watch videos of stupid cats all day. Or even that one time you went to the bank for a loan and used your house or any land of yours as collateral. Wealth begets wealth, so why not do what is deemed necessary to help create a wealthier population? So the argument goes. Not only will it help act as a stimulus for their economy, the ripple effect could also mean less unemployment and more people of welfare and paying taxes into the government coffers for the South African economy. Looming demographic changes also emphasize even more of a need to transform the status quo. To be a country which has lots of crime, poverty and unemployment that is also paying host to an even greater number of young people in search for a livelihood and meaning of their own would be a recipe for disaster. Something needs to change. With that said, there are a number of things that South Africa has to consider in respect to the local economy and global markets when implementing such radical reform. Land reform of farmland may prompt fears that further changes are in store for the country when it comes to wealth and ownership. What's next? Businesses and in other industries? The mines, dare I say it? This angst could lead to a growing uncertainty for investors and firms across the nation and the world and disrupt any plans that they had for retaining and expanding their investments in South Africa. It could also end up striking the wrong chord with the international community, with the imposition of sanctions by them in response to the land reform policy being a distinct possibility. Together, a reaction of this scale and nature could lead to further depreciation to the RAND, with it potentially having an adverse impact on domestic stock markets and provoking a mass exodus of people and capital, which could leave the nation wondering why it ever decided to pursue such a policy in the first place. Then, there's of course that nagging issue of food security, something which may be compromised if the expropriation and distribution of land is not managed effectively. There's also the elephant in the room that is the matter of the indigenous Khoisan population. Yes, them. Blacks were not the only ones to be dispossessed of their land. Widely known as the original inhabitants of South Africa, and possibly the missing link between Africans and Asians in the ancestral family tree. The Khoisans are, in ethnographic, cultural and social terms, 
a different ethnicity to that of the Bantu peoples, who are basically the black population of South Africa. They also have a strong claim to lost land throughout the country, with this reform undoubtedly having the potential to unleash a can of worms from their direction. Land reform in South Africa is a political hot potato, no pun intended, for a reason. And while something does have to be done to improve the current state of South Africa for all its citizens, black, white, coloured, Indian, Khoisan, male and female included, the approach being contemplated by South Africa at present is definitely not without its controversy, doubts and hopes. Over to you, Tim. What little stats exist on the racial divide of landowners in South Africa paints a grim reality. Non-colored whites make up around 8% of the total population, yet whites are part of the exclusive 10% of South Africa that owns 90% of the national wealth. Even conservative estimates suggest that 80% of the majority blacks only own 40% of the nation's farmlands. What's most troubling and far more telling is the government stat that says just more than 2% of the land seized during apartheid has been returned. This could be because of government inefficiency or outside influence, but it still goes to show how hard the process of land reform is. The inequality of land and capital play into each other as well, and continues to decimate the black Africans. When we're talking about a strong majority of the population, the 80% of black Africans in South Africa, we are talking about the masses that mandate the government to rule. This is one facet of cypherism. Whereas the mandate is just assumed rather than earned. Dressing up some new reform in a suit and tie and telling it to go on the evening news to tell everyone that everything is okay is just not enough. This is the privacy of your thoughts. With the recent Cambridge Analytica leakers stepping forward and showing how easily we can become swayed by manipulation, this discussion should be at the forefront more than anything, especially when we're dealing with the ever-encroaching access to our personal thoughts in the form of apps or data. The crux of the reason why land reform is happening is because it has not happened in the past. It is the failure of the post-apartheid government to implement effective policies, and rather than becoming swayed by the status quo, these efforts should be praised. Cypherism is just that, the challenge to the systematic beliefs, such as the one that the post-apartheid South African government did enough. Out of that was the reaffirming belief that emerges as statistics published by various groups that conclude that everything is all good in the hood, but it's hard to see over the eight-foot-tall concrete walls topped with electric wire. This has been another episode of Two Tims Talking Trash. If you'd like to tell us how the piss that's been excreted on us is rain, put it in the comments. You can also tell us how it's solving the drought in Cape Town. Or if you want to be hella chill, go ahead and give us your tips on how to make this podcast better. Got suggestions for our next topic? You can also leave that below. No matter what you do, though, like, subscribe, or share it with your friends. Until next time.